0: The opportunity that's ours this morning to assemble and to gather in the way that we have is truly a great thing. I might use this as an opportunity to remind us uh, perhaps one final time about our 2 o'clock service this afternoon. Please keep that in mind. We'll not be meeting at the regular 5.30 hour, but rather at 2 o'clock this afternoon. And we hope each one is able to, to already have made plans for that and able to be here with us at that time of a second opportunity for worship today. You may have already noticed that in 1 Peter 1.22, which was read just a moment ago, I hope you have your finger there. We'll be returning to that passage shortly. But for the time being, as you lift, give thought to the title, we're going to be reflecting somewhat upon commitment in Christ. And to do that, these introductory words will uh, will help get us going in that direction. Commitment is an, o- is an obligation. It is a particular matter that is... A rather highly appreciated matter at least in some circles but in others it's not you probably have various circles in your life in which you appreciate that in the mind of some people commitment is not as significant as it is to you it's not as important as it is to you it is not a matter that is a part of the ordinary way of their life and yet today at least for the next few moments what do we give some general appreciation to principles connected to life, connected to perhaps that which can apply to the workplace or in our families or even in other places as well. The Bible has a great deal to say about this. And at least for the next few moments, we certainly won't be able to look at all of the various passages. But here are at least a few of them. First, let's define it. One definition is the one that I have written at the top of that slide. It reads like this. By commitment, you and I mean that particular promise to be loyal to something or to someone. It is that state in which there's an obligation that involves an emotional motivation. Now, admittedly, I took that definition from the Merriam-Webster dictionary, which is not, of course, a Bible dictionary, But I thought the definition rather powerfully connected to both the original Greek and Hebrew suggestions as well. Commitment. You may notice that in 1 Peter 2 verse 23, this follows the very verse read a moment ago. Allow me to start again in verse 22 and let's now just read on into those verses that follow and notice the appreciation and highlight with me some of the features connected to commitment. Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth, through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. Peter makes the following observation. Would you remember with me that those to whom the book of First Peter were written were individuals that quite frankly were in a position of suffering. The key word to the book of 1 Peter is the word suffering. You find that word etched a number of times throughout the five chapters, and these were people who were struggling. They were individuals who were not only battling persecution from without, but there were also forces internal to the character, not only related to falsehood, but even others. And yet Peter admonished them, Verse 22, your souls have been purified. Although the external circumstances might be less than ideal, you have been purified. And how so? By obeying the truth. There is something of a cleansing character about the truth. When a person obeys the truth, the world may look upon that with a bit of dumbfoundedness. Well, why would you want to be baptized? Why be dunked beneath water? What does that accomplish? And yet in verses such as this one, you and I appreciate that in that act of baptism, connected to obedience to the Lord, there's a purification that takes place. That obedience to the Lord, and in fact the ongoing obedience to the God of heaven, brings about a purification. It is through the Spirit as the text informs us. The Holy Spirit being behind it, revealing it, manifesting it. And then it has this to say also in verse 22. It says, unto unfeigned love of the brethren. A commitment that connects to the reality of the ongoing demonstration of this. Unfeigned means genuine. It means real. It has to do with actuality. It's not hypocritical or merely a pretense. And in so doing, you notice, verse number 23, thou says, Inasmuch as these who have obeyed the truth, they have been born again. That immediately brings to our mind those comments from Nicodemus in John chapter 3. That gentleman that came to Jesus by night, and he himself asked, What good thing? What may I do? And Jesus rather quickly pointed out to him, You must be born again. He was initially confused. Can I enter the second time into my mother's womb and be born? John 3 verse 4. Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and the Spirit, he shall not see, he cannot see the kingdom of God. There is a rebirth. There is something that's amazing about the idea of commitment as it connects to that concept. An individual who relinquishes his or her life to the matter of obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, that person, as this text reminds us, has not only been purified, but been born again. Rebirth. Each and every one of us need to be forever thankful for that opportunity. The blackness of sin washed away. The terrible issues that go with it. Separation from God, gone, no more. You and I can now walk hand in hand with the Master living each day, of course, under the conviction and character of the word of the Lord and ever appreciative of that reward promised to the faithful. When Jesus came to this planet and He set before the human family not only the reality of the gospel, but the reward connected to heaven and the awful fieriness of hell, Jesus spoke about all of it. He did that in love, encouraging one and all to be faithful to the Lord and so avoid that place in hell. But it is, having said that, that rebirth is critical. You and I live thus in a way to where we are directed by the matters of this life. We, of course, live dutifully and appreciate the obligations of it, but our citizenship is in heaven, Philippians 3, verse 20. Our citizenship. That place in which you and I ultimately are. Oh, it's true. We may be citizens of the United States of America. And for that, we're thankful. But you and I are citizens as faithful Christians of a place far grander, far more noble than that. Close that particular slide with me. Commitment is the issue before us today. And we've noticed already great reasons as to why that commitment should be in our hearts. Isn't it true God has demonstrated His commitment to us? He sent His Son, John 3, 16. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. The text says whosoever. He invites men, women, those older, those younger, those educated, those less educated, those in various stations and attributes of life. The Lord died for each and every one of them, for each and every one of us. And He extends that invitation to you and to me. And of course, that involves commitment then on our part. Just as surely as God has demonstrated that level of commitment in sending His Son, you and I in love, as we and I just read in 1 Peter one twenty-two, joyously respond to that. As you and I exhibit commitment to Him. Isn't it then tragic that sometimes in the circles of life, you and I see that commitment's a fleeting concept. There are those that aren't particularly committed to their work. There are those not committed to their family. We see others that do not demonstrate commitment to their marriage. And the list goes on and on. And so for the next few moments briefly admittedly why don't we at least think about a few applications but let's begin with this one you and i noticed in first 1 peter 1:22 1, and the two verses that follow the characteristic connection to truth a commitment to truth those that love the lord and those who are excited of course about what he has done in demonstrating his commitment to us you and i are so very excited about the commitment to truth Jesus said you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Do you and I want to be free from sin? Free from the weight that sin brings? Didn't the Hebrew writer put it like this in Hebrews 12 verses 1 and 2? Wherefore, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. If you could imagine trying to drag an anchor across a sandy beach. Picture it, would you? You and I know how heavy an anchor, a ship's anchor can be. Can you imagine trying to drag that across a sandy beach? How hard that'd be. That's about what sin's like. There's a destination to which you and I want to go, and yet rather than having the freedom to pursue that, in a way without encumbrance, we're dragging an anchor. And it's connected to what sin is all about. Causing life to be less than as wholesome as it could be, weighted down with that which is negative, and motivated by the devil. It is true that that text in Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2, then I stop before finishing the next verse. But it goes on to say, We look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, and for the joy set before us. We pursue that great thing, of course, that is His Word. On that slide, then you'll notice, let's step through these ideas by application this way. Impurity is what comes by way of sin. In Isaiah 1, verse 18, Isaiah 59, verses 1 and following, echoed in 1 John 3, verse 8, and all of those and many others, we notice that sin is a blackness connected to disobedience to God. Today, may you and I be recommitted and reaffirmed that we love the truth and we are devoted to it. That devotion, as you can see further on that slide, is highlighted by way of our consideration in directness. May I ask each of us, do you love the truth? There are a lot of things in this life that capture by way of appeal things that are interesting to us we need to love the truth i realize the month of december and soon the year 2023 if god blesses us with but a few more days it'll be forever among the desbians of history and a new year and a new moment and a new present will be before us perhaps in this coming year you and i could be remotivated to have a commitment to the truth Falsehood won't save a peanut, but the truth will. Obedience to that truth. Paul was able to write in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And thus, as Paul came to that Roman position or location, you and I know quite well from history. Rome, the imperial city, had opportunities for lots of different kinds of learning and knowledge and pieces of wisdom, but Paul said none of that is of interest when it comes to the salvation of the soul. May you and I also enjoy and appreciate opportunities to highlight that commitment to the truth. Not only that, what about the next opportunity? What about a personal application It's not just the truth in a somewhat general fashion, but what about holiness? One of the things that Peter will insist to to all of us, go back to chapter 1, verse number 16. Just a few verses earlier than where we were reading earlier today. Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Now, that no doubt sounds very very familiar to you and me because it's almost a direct quotation from Leviticus 19 in the heart of the old law of Moses. God desired those ancient Israelites to be holy. And that idea of holiness is not just a mental engagement. It is an ongoing state of affairs of life, living each moment in such a way that we appreciate a connection in sacredness and in consecration to what God wants. We choose to live like He would want us to, being set apart from the various choices and the various things of darkness in the world, and we love the Lord, and we want to please Him. I didn't read the previous verse, verse 15, but this is the ideal time it would seem to do that. But as He which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. If God is holy and if you and I love Him and wish to be with Him, then we've got to be holy as He is. That means that that motivates you and I that we will live each day as we interact with others, manifesting honesty and sincerity and genuineness and striving to behold that which is pleasing in the sight of the Lord. Choosing our language carefully, dressing modestly, choosing to, in fact, adorn those places that God would find pleasing, and genuinely being an upstanding person of Christian character and and worthwhileness. You and I know the commitment to holiness will have its challenges. Co-workers, friends at school, others just won't understand. And they may well encourage or even present the temptations, as you and I would call them, to do those things that are unholy. It requires strength. May you and I pray for wisdom in the coming year. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. James 1, verses 6 and following. Thus, may you and I have a commitment to holiness etched in the language upon that slide. I did think it wise to invite you to look at chapter 4, verse 2 of this same book. You may notice that much of our lesson today will be drawn from 1st Peter in chapter 4 verse number 2 it reads like this that he no longer should live the rest of his life I'm sorry the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men but to the will of God the situation as it's described there is that there were people who previously had lived a kind of life in which you understand it was not what God was pleased with but they changed They repented. They obeyed. They had been those who, in fact, had purified their souls by obeying the truth. And now says, Your previous friends are not going to understand. And that verse reads it. Verse number four, wherein they think it strange that you will not run with them. What you once had done with them as friends, I'm sorry, I can't do that anymore. I'm now Christian. I can't go to that bar. I can't go to those other places that otherwise I frequented with you previously because my commitment is now to the Lord. The principle of that applies to all of us, doesn't it? Though there may have been times other things were done, we are now committed to the God of heaven. And that level of commitment is seen not only in verses like that one, but Peter even gives us a listing of certain things they previously had done which they no longer did. Are there changes you and I need to make as we appreciate commitment to the Lord? Are there habits we've allowed to creep into our life that we now realize I can do better than this and the Lord will motivate me to do better than this? Now's the time to change or to make an effort toward that end. Maybe in the coming year, better in terms of certain attributes of service to the church. Better things connected to our service in light of family or neighbors or friends or otherwise. Maybe our commitment to participation in the things of the programs of the church. That listing, of course, could be greatly extended. As you close that particular slide with me, certainly one of the things we each can do is be committed to prayer. Brother Cale led us a moment ago in a song, Sweet Hour of Prayer. Weren't those words stirring? Sweet hour of prayer. Sweet hour of prayer. And throughout that song, it was a reminder of how longing and how much yearning there is in the heart of that person. He couldn't wait. She couldn't wait for the time of prayer to come. May you and I be excited and committed to that prayer. And in so doing, do you recall that Daniel prayed, and in those circumstances, Daniel chapter number 6, those prayers, of course, were very powerful. What about the next one? I mentioned earlier today, we live in a world in which marriage has been cheapened exceedingly. Very cheap. You and I think, in terms of a worldwide character, of a lot more about things far less valuable than marriage. I know you've seen the billboard signs as well as I have. Some particular attorney or some particular law office will say about $150, children or not, and you can have a divorce. $150. You can barely go out and eat for that anymore, it seems. $150, you can get a divorce. There was a time not many decades ago when in order to obtain a divorce you had to appear before a judge and you'd be questioned. What has he or she done to warrant a divorce? Now there's no questions asked. In fact, in many cases it's even described as almost without any reason at all. Our world, our nation is so very different in its level of commitment to marriage and what the Bible would encourage us to note. On that slide, just a very few comments, some of which might well be as follows. Whether it be husbands or whether it be wives, both are addressed in the principles of the book of 1 Peter, encouraging a holiness exhibited in chasteness and commitment to that arrangement into which one may well be a participant. It surely is something we need to instill in the minds of those who are contemplating it and thinking at some point in the future about being married. God's plan is one woman for one man for life. That's been true since the Garden of Eden. God didn't make two women for Adam, He didn't make two men for Eve. It was one woman for one man for life. And as Paul retaught that principle in Romans chapter 7, he asserted to them, now if he dies, she can remarry. She needs to do so in the Lord, 1 Corinthians seven thirty-nine. But the commitment there is to this arrangement, as each is committed to it, they are bound to God. For doesn't it say in Matthew nineteen six, what God has joined together, let not man put asunder. The sweetness of how that that seemingly is so different than what the world may portray. Doesn't it help us see the richness, the jeweled beauty, and the absolute power of that marriage as the Word of God has described it and encourages the foundation that connects to it? One of the last points on that particular slide, as it challenges us with the wife and then with the husband, I put the husband on this next particular slide with a reminder that 1 Peter chapter 3 is a place that says much about all of this. May I direct your attention to just two of the verses there. Verse 1. Wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. Not an endorsement, if you please, to marry once not a Christian, but an endorsement reminding you that if two are married, but one of them comes to obey the gospel, then there is a sweet duty connected to the kind of lovely holy life in which the other might be won and brought to the Lord by that which is the character of the one that's faithful. Jump a few verses later, verse number 7. Husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. The greatness connected to a prayer between husband and wife directed unto God, you could well appreciate how much different that would be if the element of God is not included, if the power of that is not there. One of the last things on that slide then helps us see that this commitment in Christ perhaps takes us to this final one I would ask you to consider with me today. The church. Of all the organizations on earth, the grandest is the church. It is the body of Christ. It is the family of God. It is the particular organization of the saved, Ephesians 5.23. It is the place wherein one appreciates the Lord handing that group of people over to the Father, 1 Corinthians 15.24. You and I must be committed to it. The church isn't like the Rotary Club. It isn't like the Science Club in high school. It's not like some organization such as that. It is far more critical and far more needful. I cannot go to heaven without being a faithful member of the church. And neither can you. Nobody can. The church should mean then everything to us. Look at some of these verses again drawn from the book of 1 Peter. This time, chapter 5, verse 2. To elders, this particular directive is given. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. You'll notice that there is an obligation connected to the feeding of the flock to ensure that their spiritual feast is of sufficient character to motivate their soul in nourishment that they might be faithful and true and committed. Not only that, look at that next verse. I've asked you to appreciate the references in the Bible to the church in a very quick way. It's true the Bible does make reference to the universal church, but it also references local congregations. Like the church at Philippi, or the church at Thessalonica, or the church, yea, at Ephesus. That means the Pippin Church of Christ is well known to our Heavenly Father. What about your and my commitment to it? I hope that commitment is high and regarded and that commitment is secure i would point out that in this very book of first peter look back to verse 1 of chapter 1 there we notice the following statement peter an apostle of jesus christ to the stranger scattered throughout pontus galatia cappadocia asia and bithynia and then in verse number two of chapter one They are described as those who are predestined in the sense of being elected. Today, if that's the kind of consideration given by way of description of the church, what about the reciprocity of you and me? If that's what God has done, what have I done? And what about you? May our faithfulness to the church be absolutely unquestioned. For that reason, that commitment leads me to say the following as we come to the conclusion of our lesson today. We have highlighted, at least in a quick way, some of the elements of the book of 1 Peter about commitment. We tried to define it at the outset of the lesson, and then we made this observation. The world, in most cases, will have a resistance to commitment. The world is much more motivated by situational responses I'll be committed to it as long as it serves the purposes for me. But as soon as it doesn't serve those purposes, I'll turn against it in a heartbeat because I want something else. We can't be that way as Christians. The truth never changes. The Word of God is not altered by circumstances or situations. The Word of God knows nothing about relativism as the world now calls it. It rather encourages you and me as those committed to to the church, to the Lord, to truth, to marriage, to holiness. And one by one, as we've reflected upon each of them, it serves for us as a measuring reed that maybe motivates us in light of coming service and coming direction to the Lord. Of course, to be in the Lord, you have to become in that case. Nicodemus was told he had to be born again. It may be that there's someone in this assembly today that needs to be born again. Not born physically from your mother's womb. That's what Nicodemus had to be reminded about. But being born of water and the Spirit, John 3 verse 5. The plan of salvation that has been revealed to us is the initial step in that level of commitment. Please reflect with me on that beautiful confession made. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And as that confession is uttered, usually right before baptism, it is a statement of absolute belief and commitment in heart to follow the Lord in faith, no matter what. Today, if you believe in the Lord, are willing to repent of your sins, are happy to make confession of His nature as the Messiah, we'd be honored to baptize you for the remission of your sins. And in a matter of moments, that obedience would now put you into the kingdom and you could proceed in a life of holiness and commitment to the Lord. If it's true that you have known the walk of Christianity, but as of today, again, it happened almost certainly in a very slow way. Decisions were made that compounded and have now driven you in a place that you're no longer near the Lord. You don't need to stay there. You see, you're the one that moved aside from Him, and He's pleading with you to come back. To do that, you need to repent of your sins. You need, of course, to make confession of them. And if you'll do that, we'd be privileged to pray to God along with you. If we could help today in that regard, or maybe just prayers of strength, we'd be honored in any of these ways and use this particular song we're about to sing as a time of encouragement. If one or more would wish to come today... Would you not do that and express commitment in Christ and do it while together we stand and while we sing?